feed and sharing with all of my traditional and centrist and progressive brothers and sisters who are clergy. I'm praying for them and their staff and their churches and their communities as we all hurt and process through this. We will be Tennessee, TNUMC, together. We can work through this together, and I will continue to do that. Every ounce of being that I have to be one church and to continue in this way. Let us pray. As we now focus on the words of the transfiguration and as we think about all the things of this general conference that have been a part of our lives this week, speak to us through the power of this scripture. Reveal to us your full and true self. Allow us to know your presence in our lives and to continue to work for your kingdom. In Jesus Christ's name, may the Holy Spirit open each one of us to what it is we are supposed to hear today. Amen. Most of us have heard the phrase, you'll know it when you'll see it. All right? You know that phrase. By the way, you can follow along. I did create an event for this week and did create the event for last week. Make sure you save them if you want to see them. So those two events are there under version. This phrase can wreck the nerves, even the most confident people. Worry and wonder often come to the minds of us trying to figure out this. When we see it, will we know it? It's not an unusual feeling. Yet the sudden realization of that moment of truth arriving at the destination is liberating. It's a joy-filled sensation to finally see it. Sometimes it can even be surprising. Shocking to the senses if we're not prepared for what meets us there. Sometimes the moment demands our focused attention, listening, watching as our senses adjust after the initial shock. Consider that feeling when a blindfold is removed in a completely lit room or light switches are turned on in total darkness. It's unmistakable when that moment of light arrives. When light is revealed, what you have hoped for stands out. And even more so when the surprise is bigger and better than you could have ever expected. For many of us, such sudden realization and revelation can be awe-inspiring. Which also, though, blinds us from seeing the breadth of what is there. If we aren't ready for that reveal. When have you been astounded by God. A lot of times for me that's in nature. When I went to Yellowstone several years ago and you actually can stand out in the middle of a field and there's no light for miles and miles and miles around, you will see stars you can never see any place in Tennessee. I remember when we, we did the eclipse watching here at the church and we gathered together and as the eclipse happened and the birds started chirping and they thought it was night, and the sky went dark, and there was nothing around, and we, everybody was seeing shadows that were weirdly on the ground, and everything else that was going on. It was astounding to be in that moment. You couldn't even put it into words. Have you ever been astounded and astonished by the church? A time in your life when they came alongside of you during a time of need or hurt, and they were present in your life or when they weren't there for you 
And people asked you not to come back. Or you were hurt by people in the church. And as the bishop said, you found either grief or relief or disbelief. Feelings that many of us have felt this week after the general conference, perhaps. And so we find this story of the transfiguration starting off in verse 28, chapter 9. Now about eight days after these sayings, Jesus took with him Peter and John and James and went up to the mountain to pray. And while he was praying, the appearance of his face changed and his clothes became dazzling white. And the disciples were not ready for what this time away with Jesus would bring as he went for prayer. To them, they knew they were journeying up with the mountain with Jesus, but the glory that comes from following him was was not on their minds. They lacked awareness, understanding the mystery of Jesus and of his being chosen. And they were not anticipating anything worth waiting for. It was just a normal day. In verse, suddenly, suddenly they saw two men, Moses and Elijah, talking to him, and they appeared in glory, and they were speaking of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Now Peter and his companions were weighed down with sleep, but since they had stayed awake, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with him. They were overcome in their tiredness. Until suddenly they were shocked in their senses by the glory that shone so brightly they they couldn't miss it. Suddenly the familiar experience of Jesus in prayer revealed a seemingly obvious truth. But they were just too tired to process it fully and accurately. His glory was revealed so much that even Jesus' face was changed its appearance. He didn't look like Jesus. Even his clothes took on the splendor of dazzling white. Whiter than just my Easter robe can even present. Though this looks different than the robe that you're used to seeing. It gets your attention. An unspeakable brightness of joy. And just as they were leaving him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three dwellings. One for you one for Moses, and one for Elijah, not knowing what he said. You ever had that moment in time in life when you didn't know what to say and you still said something anyways and it was the wrong thing? When you don't know what to say, it's probably best not to say anything at all. Peter, in his haste, does not know what he's asking. When he reacts to this encounter by offering to build a tent for Jesus and Moses and Elijah, Peter didn't realize this glory is not something bound to the persons of Jesus, Moses, and Elijah. That it cannot be restricted to dwelling in houses built by human hands, we hear in the words of Acts. It can't contain it. That Jesus is the light of the world, the glory of the people of Israel, that nothing can contain. And that Peter doesn't own and doesn't control. Why do you think Peter desired to stay on the mountain of transfiguration? 
Moses, Elijah, and Jesus apparently discuss Jesus' departure in Jerusalem and why he needs to go there and what he's going to do. Yet Peter wanted to stay at this site of Revelation, an epiphany. Peter desires to stay even when the mission clearly tells him that he needs to go somewhere else. Isn't it easy for us and the church to have a similar mindset desiring to stay in the current state where we are, the current place in our lives, instead of seeking out to be about the mission of God in the world? And then to disagree on how we do that as we've seen across our denomination this week. And while he was saying this, a cloud came and overshadowed them. And they were terrified as they entered the cloud. Then from the cloud came a voice that said, This is my son, my chosen. Listen to him! Exclamation point. When the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone. And they kept silent. And in those days told no one any of the things they had seen. You see, in Peter, we see how the disciples seem to have missed something in translation. As they do not yet understand the lesson they've been taught while following Jesus in his prayer life. Because they went to the mountain to do what? Pray. They went to the mountain to pray. And it's out of Jesus' prayer that all this happens. And yet they still think it's important to stay on the mountain. 864 delegates at General Conference this week think that what they decided or didn't decide will define us in the church in the United States or in Tennessee or in our own community of Hendersonville. And even that vote didn't represent what the U.S. thinks. 60% of U.S. delegates voted for the one church plan, the middle plan. And everyone from progressive to traditionals have been reacting and beginning to figure out what they're going to do. That vote only showed us how much of a world church we are and how different we are and diverse in the world. But we also hopefully began to realize how what we do affects even more than us but outside how others see us. If you've been reading articles from other news sources besides United Methodists, you have seen what they think of us. It's been the hardest thing in the world to read. And in our disagreement, the damage and the hurt done to our LGBTQ plus family and friends and allies and neighbors because probably somebody within this congregation, I know for sure, People have gay children here, gay brothers or sisters, friends, co-workers, people that they know. And there has been much hurt this week across all sides. But the scripture says in the next day when they had come down from the mountain that a great crowd met them. When they came down from the mountain, those delegates went home feeling enlightened or disheartened. They went back to the crowd, their churches, their neighborhoods, their cities. 
The 20,000 plus people who stopped, they stopped watching the live stream. So I think it was interesting that only 5,000 watched the live stream on the day of prayer. And the countless others continued to read articles as their churches and pastors are in conversation with their communities in the valley, not the mountaintop. Already we see progressives in the western jurisdictions sharing that they are not going to change who they are and what they're going to do. And the centrists led by Adam Hamilton and Michael Slaughter, among others, for the first time are thinking the middle should be the one to take the graceful exit. I've never heard that in my entire time of ministry. And the traditionals, led in part by the WCA, though every traditional is not a part of the WCA, have a meeting scheduled for the day after the Judicial Council meets in April to decide what is constitutional in the traditional plan. And from reading all their material and their releases on their website, they still might leave if most of what was passed is ruled out. They still might go. In which everybody leaves then. And the 15,000 younger United Methodists under the age of 35 who signed a petition overnight that has grown to almost 25,000 now about their hurt and their brokenness. This plan would pass. And all the 13 United Methodist seminaries who have come against the traditional plan knowing that 75% of millennials, whether they are gay or not, are allies of LGBTQ people, many of whom are their friends. And they are asking the question, how can I be part of something that does not support my friends, whether I believe or not? Because there's one thing that millennials believe it is, and they don't like the most, when somebody is excluded, even if they don't agree with them. And so what happens on the mountain affects so much more in the valleys than many really realize. You see, Jesus' closest disciples were caught up in the joy of the moment and just wanting to stay there and the clarity of what they saw, forgetting they have to come down the mountain away from the place of that singular experience and be in ministry. The disciples were led into what was initially a bright and joy-filled splendor, but they were not ready what Jesus was shown to be. They were led to witness this manifestation of the glory of God. But Peter responded in ignorance, which turned to terror as the disciples were deprived of their natural senses when they came into the cloud and they heard the voice of God speak of Jesus as the chosen one. Stop talking. Start listening to him. And they learned through this experience not to depend on their understanding, but to trust God. And look only to Jesus, who remained once their senses returned and the splendor of glory was no longer in plain sight. Trust God and look only to Jesus might be what we need to hear in the days and months to come. Amen? Trust God and look only to Jesus. But then we find that the other followers down the mountain were also in need of renewed revelation. What Jesus offered them in prayer by the Spirit they needed. That the followers of Jesus still need Him now more than ever. 
And just then a man from the crowd shouted, Teacher, I beg you, look at my son. He is my only child. And suddenly a spirit seizes him. And all at once he shrieks and it convulses him until he foams at the mouth and it mauls him and will scarcely leave him. I begged your disciples to cast it out. But they could not. Jesus' disciples were distracted. They were seeing the divine provision they'd seen on the mountain, and they're forgetting to completely trust and depend on the teachings of Jesus. They could not heal the son who was brought to Jesus from among the crowd at the foot of the mountain. And Jesus did not mince his words and his frustration because he says this to them. Jesus answered, You faithless and perverse generation, how much longer must I be with you and bear with you? Bring your son here. Who are Jesus' harsh words to? In verse 41. The crowd? The disciples? The crowd or disciples exclusively? How do you think it felt hearing those tough words of Jesus? We like the sweet and simple ones. We don't like the salty and tough ones. Jesus embodied what many of us seem to forget. He shows the importance of focusing on Jesus before coming back to see all the people informed in the fullness of God's glory. If you want to be able to see all the people, then you have to be able to have the eyes of Jesus first. In Him, we're reminded to trust in the essential directions we've been provided to. To pray. To listen. To care for all of God's people. All. That's the way it works. The lines we draw, the things that were discussed this week were about gay marriage and about ordination of gay clergy. The only two things. They were not about seeing all the people or about loving everyone, including lesbian and gay, bisexual and transgendered and questioning people. We are to love everyone. Those were the issues, the lines that we draw and break down or after that. And over the last several days, I've read and shared story after story from every perspective, trying to people trying to make sense of their experience, trying to reveal where Jesus is in all of this, to find his glory somehow. Because it's hard. But God does have a plan for us. This is Jesus knew of the plans for his life in death and resurrection. We are called to go back to the people, to follow Jesus back down the mountain, to rest on our feet in spirit and in truth, to get back into the messiness of the world where we struggle to make sense of it all. This happened this week at the United Methodist Church. That's why it's important to breathe, not do, not decide. Not plan. To pause before any of us do anything else. And to be still and know that He is still God. Amen? And while He was coming, the demon dashed the boy to the ground in convulsions. But Jesus rebuked the unclean spirit, healed the boy, gave him back to his father. 
Jesus recognized in the people both the need for what he had to offer and the lack of faithfulness that permeated all of his followers. And even though he exclaimed his frustration to this generation of believers, he still cast out the evil spirit and heals the son. Much like Peter, the people need to recognize the glory of God. This outreach of healing and forming of followers and believers, this was his destination. He didn't sort through the crowd first to make sure everybody was supposed to be believing like he did or what he taught before he healed them. You see, faithfulness to God and commitment to people is foundational. About what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. To make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. That is the United Methodist mission statement. And the mission above all else continues in the local church no matter what happens or will happen in the United Methodist Church in the future. Amen? That the mission will still happen no matter what is decided. It may be that progressives leave like the West and our own progressive churches, mostly in the Nashville area. Or that traditional say after judicial council in April, the plan has passed, has no teeth, no ability to be enforced like they've already said. Or it was not foreseen that many centrists would rise up and support the progressives because they're not going to accept any more greater restrictive rules than we already had. One of my clergy colleagues this week with tears in their eyes said, I don't want to be a part of a church that's mean. No matter what you believe. And that broke my heart. I've seen all that in the valley of this week. And whatever the case, large crowds of people and disciples were gathering around Jesus then and now. And he talks to them about God and the kingdom of God. And God's wonderful power to heal people was going out from Jesus. And as Jesus looked at the people and spoke to them, his presence was healing the whole crowd. And people's bodies and spirits were being healed in amazing ways. We need that healing now. We need to remember, as I said in my email, and George Escovito, the pastor from Grace Church in Florida where I went several years ago, who is a known traditional, makes clear in his article that our votes represent real people with real voices on all sides of this. Real people. Real voices. Not positions. And then these words for one of my ministry colleagues who's not clergy, who is gay... And he's married to an Episcopal priest. Belmont on Saturday night gathered together with all the churches in the Nashville area who were progressive and they had a service of lament and hope. And these are the words that he said during that time. And I want you to hear these, whether you are traditional, centrist, or progressive, because I want you to hear that real people are behind these things. Not just the position. He says, growing up I was taught that in order not to not only serve, but in fact to love God, I could not be who God created you to be. Thirty years of deep depression, constant prayer for healing, going through all the motions of the pious, and God never saw fit to heal the affliction that was me. 
hearing constant reminders from the pulpit of my ultimate demise. While no one knew how much I hurt, I was willing to deny who I was in order to please God, knowing I would never meet God's expectations. Ten years ago, I reluctantly set foot in United Methodist Church. I was terrified of the judgment I would receive if they knew who I was. I sheltered myself from any situation where someone could ask me questions that would somehow disclose who I was and result in rebuke. It didn't happen. I had no idea there were Christians who didn't see things the way I had been taught. There were people who, it turned out, loved me more than I had ever loved myself. They gave me hope. They gave me courage to go on. They worshipped with me. They studied with me. They gave me a chance to be in ministry alongside of them. They loved me. What do you say to your friends and people that you know like that? I went to their Facebook page and I reached out and I said, Jacob and Michael, I hurt for you. I grieve for you. I'm praying for you. I love you. I don't have to change what I believe or think in order to do that. And neither do you. It is the crucial most part of who we are to love all those. And so I want to apologize on behalf of the UMC to anybody here for the hurt that has been caused to you or your family or your friends. And may you share that with them as well. We have members of our church that have gay children who do have gay brothers and sisters. We have gay friends. We have gay folks in our church. And I apologize on behalf of all of them for the way that this has turned out this week, irregardless of the decision. It's been hurtful and harmful. And so everybody who was there with Jesus, they said they all were astounded at the greatness of God. The whole crowd was astonished at what they were seeing. They were amazed and happy at God's greatness. And I think all the people at the General Conference Mountain felt astounded at least at how everything played itself out and what began to happen, if not the actual outcome. We were all astonished by what was transpiring in front of us. But now that we're back in the valley, there is still ministry to be done, lives to be transformed, people to be healed. All of us need to shine the light of God's glory. Amen? And this week I posted on each one of those sites, TNUMC Together, and I told our bishop that at Good Shepherd we will work together with traditionals and centrists and progressives that continue to be one conference, united by what unites us, not by what divides us. And the bishop just posted this on his blog last night. He said, The unfolding journey as United Methodists is ever before us, not behind us. And in one of the articles that I posted from the Tennessean, there is this picture. This is Rick Holiday. For a time he was with us. He is standing with the progressives in prayer. Rick is a known traditional. That didn't matter. Rick went to people who were hurting. And he stood with them shoulder to shoulder 
hand in hand to be in prayer. He didn't change who he was. He just loved on the folks that were in front of him. It goes down to Wesley's general rules as I close. Do no harm. Do good. Love God. Say those with me. Do no harm. Do good. Love God. One more time. Do no harm. Do good. Love God. May that be what we follow and live by in our lives together in a diverse world. Amen. I invite you to turn to page 13 in your hymnal this morning as we gather together to celebrate. Across the connection everywhere, it's a first Sunday, so even most traditional services are celebrating communion. And so almost every place that you could go today in the Methodist church, there is communion being celebrated, and we celebrate that with them as well. The Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. Holy are you and blessed is your Son, Jesus Christ. In him we see the fullness of your glory revealed in human form. Born in the poverty, he fulfilled his mother's song that you would fill the hungry with good things and send the rich empty away. Declaring the nearness of your kingdom, he forgave sinners, cast out demons, raised the dead, restored the blind and lame, visited the sick, the prisoners, and the needy, and gathered together to continue to declare the good news in word and deed, transfiguring the world in the power of your Holy Spirit. And so with your people on earth and all the company of heaven, we praise your name and join their unending hymn. God of all times and all places, God of the infinite and infinitesimal, in the blazing splendor of your glory, you called forth light from darkness, day from night, land from oceans, and life in all its dazzling array from lifeless matter. Among the living you made and called humankind, imprinting upon us your image to be bearers of your glory in the world. Though we failed to shine and hid your image within us, you continued to call us into fellowship with you and to fulfill your mission for us through prophets, scriptures, priests, and the people you redeemed yourself. And so with your people on earth and all the company of heaven, we praise your unending hymn and join their unending hymn in these words that I've already said. Thank you. That's what happens when you have a whole different thing that's not in your book. There's not a transfiguration Great Thanksgiving. On the night of that last supper, he took the bread. He gave thanks to you, broke the bread, gave the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in memory of me. When supper was over, he took the cup, he gave thanks to you. He gave the disciples and said, Drink from this, all of you. This is my blood poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And when the supper was over, 
In remembrance of these your mighty acts in Jesus Christ, we offer ourselves in praise and thanksgiving as a holy and living sacrifice in union with Christ's offering for us as we proclaim the mystery of faith. Pour out your Holy Spirit, us gathered here on these gifts of bread and wine. Make them be for us the body and blood of Christ, that we may be for the world the body of Christ, redeemed by his blood. By your Spirit, make us one with Christ, one with each other, and one in ministry to all the world, until Christ comes in final victory, and we feast at his heavenly banquet. Through your Son, Jesus Christ, with the Holy Spirit, and your holy church, all honor and glory is yours, Almighty God, now and forever. Amen. This table, it is Jesus Christ who invites to, not I or the United Methodist Church. All are able to come, whether you are this small or this big. That grace, that mystery of God is available to all. It's available to all within every congregation, in every setting. There are no qualifications for it. I don't ask you when you come up where you are in your spiritual life or where you are with Christ. He doesn't either. And so as you come forward this morning and receive, I invite you to think about the diversity of the disciples that he called and they didn't listen to him and couldn't understand him and yet still he dipped bread with them. Still he spoke to them. Still he taught them. Still he came alongside of them. May we all be that same way, whether the progressive table or a centrist table or a traditional table in all of our churches. May all of us celebrate the one bread the one body, the one faith of the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let those coming forward to serve come forward to serve. The Keystone Cops now invite you to come, sir, come receive communion. There's a place for everybody at the table, Louise. The body of Christ broken and given for you in love. The body of Christ broken and given for you in love and for all. The body of Christ broken and given for you in love and for all. The body of Christ broken and given for you in love. The body of Christ broken and given for you in love and for all.
So as we close this service off this morning, then I want to take one last piece of bread. For all the churches, they're traditional and centrist and progressive across our entire connection, across our conference, across our southeastern jurisdiction, the other jurisdictions, across the U.S., and across the world. May we all know from each other that all are forgiven, all are loved, all are accepted in the body and the blood of Jesus. And that we share that as the thing that bonds us the most. Amen. So as we join together, you know, last week we put our rocks down, took up some hearts. Some of you still like these hearts. Some of you like the orange hearts a lot, Vicki McVeigh. And uh, if you'd like to have some more heart today and less rock, feel free to stop by, get some more, make them go away, fill them inside of yourself. Let our hearts of stone be turned to hearts for love and love alone. Let us stand and sing our closing hymn together. your heart this morning. Grab a hand. Sing it again. share the love. Let Christ be revealed in your hearts. Shine with His glory. Shine with His light. Amen. Amen. You're just